Hello, hello, and welcome to the second episode of Retro Reboot, the newest show on the One Up podcast. I am your host, Orange. I remembered to introduce myself this time. Hooray. And I've got some wonderful guests with me. We've got Andy. What up, fuckers? And a new guest to this show. We've got Foxy. Good morrow. Ooh, another new one. <laughs> I told you, it's going to be a new one every time. And it's then beautiful. when I can't think of a new one, I'll just like leave the podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> never come back. Yeah. That's it. I'm out. Quit. <laughs> Smoke bomb. <laughs> Amazing. So this is the Retro Reboot Show. If you're not familiar, we are going to take a step back into nostalgia and discuss games that we grew up with or even some games that we've only just discovered, but they are all old like we are. Um, <laughs> we're each going to talk about some games. I, I don't know what that was. What was that? <laughs> it's going to talk about some games. <laughs> Seems the place for it. <laughs> As Foxy is brand new to the retro reboot, Foxy, what is it that keeps bringing you back to retro? What is it you like about retro? I, I remember in the in the first episode that one of you, I, don't know, I think it was Andy, said that he's not the nostalgic type, apart from with with video games. Was that you, Andy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yes, that was definitely Andy. Yeah. yeah. I am the nostalgic type uh, and not just for video games. So yeah, <laughs> I love all that, you know, because everything was better when I was young. No. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this I'm, is factual. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not one of those, you know, oh, gaming was better back in the day when I was a, a youngin type <laughs> of person. But I think it certainly was a bit more exciting, maybe. Like, I, like when something gets released these days i think well this this game that i'm looking at could have been released five years ago or it doesn't seem to be a to be these big jumps anymore like yeah back then every every few years that felt like there was this big dramatic shift forwards mm. like the difference between a game that came out in 1990 to 95 or a game that came out in 95 to a game that came out in 2000 there's some big big swings and changes in, yeah. in those in those times whereas now it, it feels like there's there's less maybe I, I mean i don't know maybe i'm just not keeping up with with things like i used to like some really big swings in like innovation and technology yeah. everything is really really clear where you can see the differences i get i get you I yeah get you. yeah i don't know how much is in is in this but i feel like in a in a pre-social media age, there was there was less kind of commentary on on what you were building, and there was there was less focus on what was necessarily popular. And as a result, you you kind of got teams of people that had these very kind of singular focuses on on what they were building. And now, you know, sometimes that resulted in the big steaming pile of shit. But but like you know, <laughs> more often than not, it felt unique i guess the higher the stakes get for game developers the less risk they take because now mm. one failure can sink an entire studio because the mm. amount of money that gets poured into games now so people are less inclined to take big risks like they were back in the day where they could eat a couple of losses and then come up with a really good idea and like make it all back it's, it's a very different yeah. culture now and it has made yeah. games mm. less it's made triple a games especially less interesting as a result mm. even just a win but not big enough of a win can sink yeah. a studio yeah well there's a lovely somber note <laughs> games are on. in a dreadful state right now this is why we've got a retro show we need to feel good about games for a while i love games yes, games about... are good <laughs> but the older ones are better <laughs> 
Well, let's go over to Andy. Andy, do you have a happy fun game to talk about? Uh, I'm (laughs) coming at this from a weird perspective for this episode. Oh, I'm I'm digging it already. I've got another theme. This time it's Mega CD games. Okay. (laughs) Which means... Not necessarily good games, but games I definitely have a lot of fun this far. <laughs> Interesting games. Let's go yeah. there. So like in the last episode, I talked about playing Snatcher on the Mega CD for an mm. emulation of a Mega CD because I couldn't catch it then. But I looked into the price of Snatcher after you talked about it. Blimey, that is ridiculously <laughs> expensive to try and get a hold of that game. Yeah, no, I, w- I wouldn't try and buy that one. That's, that's definitely no. a pure emulation job. Yeah. So yeah, but this time I'm talking about two Mega CD games that I did play on release because I was one of Ooh. the few. I was one of the crazy people that had a Mega CD. I can't remember how I got it. I think I bought it off somebody who didn't want it, like on the cheap. No. I traded them for something. Dave down the pub. Amazing. There was a, there was a lot of swapping around and like trading people for stuff, and then having the buyer's regret sort of thing buyer's remorse about <laughs> losing something really good to get a mega cd <laughs> mm. but i mm. had a lot of fondness for the mega cd it was stupid and most of the games weren't particularly good and the good games <laughs> were just mega drive games with fmv intros tacked onto them <laughs> but <laughs> I, I i had a lot of affection for the the duds <laughs> which is a, most of them so the first one i'm going to talk about is a game called road avenger it was called road blaster in japan but i've <laughs> I feel like Road Avenger, call me crazy, but I feel like Road Avenger is a more marketable name. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Road Blaster just sounds like the nickname you'd give the kid that projectile vomited on the side of the road during a school trip. (laughs) I can't, I just can't look at a game and take that seriously with that name. So, Road Avenger it is. Oh no. Your example was actually like a much cleaner one than I was going to go for, so... Yeah, I had a couple of jokes. I had a couple of jokes written down. I went for the one that because <laughs> it's a nostalgia thing. I'm just thinking about it from the perspective of a child. Actually, I was a pretty disgusting child, so never mind. Oh no! But anyway, another name for it was Road Prosecutor in some regions. Okay. And that that I'll tell you right now that is a massive misrepresentation of what this game is actually like. <laughs> There's very little legal process going on on these roads. So. Phoenix Wright just drives past. <laughs> Objection! And a car explodes. <laughs> that, that'd be a cool game, to be fair. It's not my pitch, but I would. <laughs> so anyway. But it Road... could be someone's... Wait. <laughs> you can't take my pitch, damn it. Anyway, so Road Avenger, it's an interactive movie in the similar vein to Dragon's Lair. It sees mm-hmm. you playing as a vigilante who is hunting down a biker gang that killed your wife. It's basically the first Mad Max, but set in the 90s. <laughs> so it was released, uh, first released on LaserDisc Arcade in 1985. And it was ported to the Mega CD between 1992 and 1993, depending on what region you lived in. Europe always got the shitty end of the stick. It was 1993 for me. Mm-hmm. So the animation was provided by Toei Animations, pretty legendary studio. So the animation is great. It's like very hectic and exciting. But the compression for the Mega CD is... Just absolute fucking dog shit. Very... <laughs> I, I don't remember it looking this bad as a kid, but I played it again recently, and it's it's not a pretty looking game, which is, even on the animation, really nice. A lot of attention put into it. The compression <laughs> is so bad. It's so bitty and faded looking. There's the Laserdisc version out there, but I needed to play the Mega CD version because that's the one I played as a kid. It's got the control scheme where a prompt will pop up on the screen, you have to press the button in time, or you get a death screen. 
it's very unforgiving with your prompts. Like you have oh. to hold, like you have to hold down that fucking the direction buttons. Otherwise, you are. But it depends on how long you have to hold it down for as well, which it doesn't make very clear. So you, you die an awful lot, and <laughs> it doesn't tell you what button to press for the brakes and what buttons the accelerator. So if you don't have an instruction manual in front of you, you're kind of guessing a lot of the time. It's, oh. it's basically it's like a feature length quick time event, I guess. But I mean, I say feature length; it's half an hour long. But it's <laughs> it for a non-stop thing where there's no saves or anything like that. You're just playing a what continuous game for half an hour. That's still quite the investment considering how long you're going to mm. die. It's probably feature yeah. length by the time you finish dying all the time. <laughs> that. But I would still consider it a video game, I guess, because it is all about reaction times and like anticipating what's happening next. It's just happening in a very on-rails fashion. That was a big thing about the Mega CD at the time when CD technology was very fresh and new and the industry mm. hadn't worked out how to use it properly. <laughs> so like, we're, we're a couple of years off from like Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid incorporating cinematics into the gameplay uh, making more exciting looking and more cinematic feeling games that are still actually full-on games most of the time the mega cd was mostly just compressed video footage fmv stuff mm. or just like i said earlier mega drive games with animated intros added to them <laughs> and that was basically <laughs> all you got and the animated intros were terrible but i yeah i just really like it and there was another one that was a lot like about a helicopter exactly the same kind of game called cobra command which i really liked as well but road avenger is the one that sticks in my mind the most i don't know what i think it's because i was <laughs> i was very young it seemed exciting to be able to play an anime basically because i was at that age where like manga had kind of exploded so like all young oh, kids yes. were like really into anime stuff like the early st- most of it was stuff you weren't really probably shouldn't be watching like akira <laughs> and fist of the north star and stuff like that but we were super mm. into it so getting to play an anime was pretty exciting even if it was it just wasn't the most exciting of times compared to other stuff you could be playing at the time like uh, basically any platform game or anything like that where you mm. felt like in full control of the game there was enough control there to make it feel exciting and challenging even if you felt like a little hands-off and like at a distance about it all I, I still have a lot of fondness for it even though i did i didn't get very far on my second replay my, my most recent replay because <laughs> i just kept dying I kept, and the did animation you know? the death animations are very repetitive it's possible because the mega cd didn't have a lot of space on the cds that they just start to recycle all the death animations but it, it got very repetitive i got sick of seeing the car going under the same fucking articulated lorry every time even though that articulated lorry was nowhere to be seen anywhere else <laughs> Did you not manage to beat it then? Not this time. So... I've beaten it before as a kid. Like I was uh, very committed okay. to playing it and Cobra Command and all the other style games like that. There was a lot of them on the Mega CD, but mm. this is the one that stuck in the mind the most. It's entirely possible that's just because it was the first one I played. Mm. I think it was the mm. first Mega CD game I actually owned. Yeah. It probably came mm. with it when whoever handed it over to me because they didn't want to play it anymore. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm ragging on it an awful lot, but I do have a lot of fondness for it. Just It came to me at the right time where I was a lot more forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> it did seem novel at the time, and it wasn't. I didn't really pick up on the fact that how lazy a lot of these type of games were. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a fun one. I, I, I enjoy it. It's not as good. There's better ones. Dragon's Lair is obviously miles better. But yeah, I, I enjoy it. After a weird start, just shitting on, <laughs> half shitting on, half praising my choice. But. <laughs> It's going to get worse, so we'll, we'll come back to me later. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Oh, exciting. <laughs> Could you imagine if that's the reason why someone got rid of the console? 
because of that game. And I'm just like, I'm not even going to get any other games. I just, uh, no, I'm done. I'm done with that. I think I know which game made them give it up and it's my second <laughs> choice. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, we'll, we'll get to that later. People can probably guess what it is. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, worry, Foxy. Follow that up, if you will, with your first choice. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to follow it up with 100% positivity. Woo! Yeah. yeah. It's kind of an obvious choice for for me, but I, you know, I'll, I'll get it out of the way the first time I'm on this series. <laughs> so it is, up until maybe two years ago, probably my favorite ever platformer on any, on any system. Um, and you guys will know it. And for those of you who don't know, where have you been? It's... <laughs> Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. Yeah. From uh, 1995. I knew I thought it was going to be this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't played it, dear listeners, then I was going to say stop listening to this and go play it, but don't. Listen to the rest <laughs> no. of this, then go play it. <laughs> you, can, you can play it and listen, you know, multitask. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been playing it recently on, on Switch. And oh my God, it's just as good. It's still just as good. It's just like the perfect <laughs> platformer for me. And I just, I love everything about it. So... It takes a kind of different approach from the previous Mario games. It's it's less concerned with that kind of precision jumping and time limits, and it's more involved with like collection and exploration in its levels. You know, a, a lot of the levels you can just take your time with, and and as a result, it ends up just being a, a much more accessible kind of experience. Mm-hmm. The art design is just perfect. It's like it, it looks as good now as it did what nearly thirty years ago. It's got this real kind of sense of childhood whimsy i love i love whimsy <laughs> it's all like crayon and pastel and it's bursting with like personality and all the enemies have kind of unique little movements and animations and feels like maybe they've got a little a little jaunty walk or there's like a little satisfying kind of skid animation when you hit one with your tongue or and yoshi's got all these like really great exaggerated movements and tongue animations for different situations and like the backgrounds as you go past are great they just follow these little tiny charming details <laughs> art design over graphics any day of the week yes. yeah it's yep. yeah yep. it's like it, it looks like somebody drew it out on like construction paper and then cut it out <laughs> and then stuck it on the screen that aesthetic just never ages like it's mm. it's just going to keep looking great and then mechanically, it's it's lovely. There's this great kind of floatiness to the jumping, and you can do a kind of it's not quite a double jump. You kind of just like strain and go. <laughs> to like actually get, strain. Yeah, the little <laughs> with the little <laughs> whip, 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 that that little kicky leg noise to get a little bit further. You know, you've got your tongue attack to slurp up enemies, and you can either spit them out as they are, or you can crap them out to generate your egg ammo and like the the actual firing of the eggs is it's great it's in certain certain situations it almost acts like a rhythm game where you just mm, you know you got to yeah. get the because the the kind of targeting reticule is is like swinging back and forward you've got to get the timing mm. just right and sometimes you're maybe like jumping at the same time and the eggs that you throw can also like collect stuff for you or remove kind of destructible parts of the environment so yeah, like loads, mm. loads of the levels just have those introduced like little new mechanics to switch things up and keep them interesting. Like, and I think everybody who like ever played the game, even if it was just a few times, remembers the level that was called uh, Touch Fuzzy Get Dizzy, <laughs> which is where like, yes. <laughs> where, like 
there's these big floating kind of cotton ball looking things. And the moment you touch one, you go on like a psychedelic trip yeah. and you're like stumbling around all over the place. It makes a kind of weird farting noise and all the colors <laughs> go crazy. And, uh, and, and like the music also turns into like a little like, ah, it's just so cool. I like, yeah, the music actually. Yeah. It's just, ah, oh, it's, it's a delight. Like I, I still listen to the Yoshi Island soundtrack when I'm working the uh, the main Yoshi theme has been my phone's ringtone for about the last 15 years. <laughs> I also like the the whole... You were talking about Crash Bandicoot last time, weren't you? Um, yes, I was. Orange, yes. <laughs> well, I like that this is kind of similar in the, the sense of um, there's a kind of self-imposed difficulty mm. to those games where, like, easy mode is kind of just finish the levels. And... To be honest, if you're if you're any good at platformers, you you will not struggle at all with Yoshi's Island. Like it's it's not mm. a game that's good because it's difficult to get through or anything. And like Crash, there's there's the kind of you know, oh, am I going to play this on easy mode as it were and finish all the levels, or am I going to give myself a challenge and make sure that I hundred percent each of the levels? Yeah. And you can have fun doing both of them, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I I really like games like that. So yeah, there's my my big <laughs> two thumbs up recommendation. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Have you played any of the other like Yoshi games, like any of the newer ones that they did? No, and I'm. And I'm this not... is retro, but. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, <laughs> but I'm afraid to as well. Like, I've never heard somebody refer to the newer ones in a positive light. Oh really? Well, well no, like... well, <laughs> not when they are also talking about the original. Mm, yeah. So, I don't know. I I do like the look of um, what is it? Is it the Woolly World one? Yes. Yeah. yeah that does look fun. Um, I think gameplay wise, they're 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 very very accessible. I would say hmm. they're probably easier than the the classic one. But I think the aesthetics of the Yoshi games have always been it's the biggest draw like the way they mm. look and the different little interactive things like you were talking about are the things that make them unique and much more interesting it's kind of like you play the game to experience the the world and have fun as Yoshi more so than to get maybe a challenge out of them I would say for the newer ones mm, yeah and you can yeah. play the multiplayer as well which is always fun I didn't even know there was multiplayer for them. I'm yeah, out, I'm I out of the loop. Woolly World, there is. I think. I'm pretty sure I played it with Peachy because I'm pretty sure I remember her being an absolute pest, which she usually is <laughs> when we play platforming games together. <laughs> She'll kill me for that one. <laughs> well, I'm gonna keep on platforming trend, and my first game uh, is gonna be Donkey Kong Country Two, Diddy Kong, Diddy's Conquest. I always say it wrong. I always say Diddy Kong's Quest, but it's not. The S is after Diddy to confuse you so i'm keeping on trend and on brand for the fact that i always seem to pick the second game <laughs> because as we discussed in the previous episode when orange was small orange did not like games that were hard and when orange got to a point in said game and couldn't go any further decided the game's over now i'm gonna play the second one because <laughs> apparently that makes all the difference yes well young orange did just that once again with donkey kong country I love the first game, but I did not finish it. I don't know how far we got to a point where it was hard, 
and then I stopped playing. But the reason why I'm picking the second one to talk about is not actually because I spent more time on that one, but because of the aesthetic of the game and the fact that it's very pirate themed. And <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that I love pirates. Pirates is like one of my favorite things. If anyone presents a movie or a game or anything to me that's pirate based, I want to know about it. I will be interested in it. My very first like D&D style game, I was a pirate. Shocking. So <laughs> I love pirates and the the second game was very much the first game, like more of the first game which I did really enjoy, but it was so piratey and I was just like, ah, oh! like the the whole cover art has Diddy Kong sitting with a treasure chest with a pirate ship in the background. And I was just like Ooh, <laughs> maybe this is where my love of pirates started. I don't know, but I absolutely love the theming of the game. And it introduced Dixie Kong with her spinny floaty hair jump, which was like easy mode <laughs> because, hey, you've got the cool spinny floaty jump, like Peach's jump later on. And um, it was it just made platforming more exciting as well because they also gave you harder jumps and if you didn't have Dixie you were screwed you could not do it you had to find Dixie and come back so that you could do the jump I played it two player a lot with my sister so we would do the thing where they high five and then switch um and it yeah it was it's just so much fun I actually booted it up this morning on the uh, switch online because I was like I'm gonna have a little go at it just to see if I can still play it. I still suck, but <laughs> I, I I love it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's really good platforming. The graphics for Donkey Kong Country were groundbreaking. You know, they were something that I'd never seen before. That kind of the 3D model in in the side scrolling. It was just ridiculous. It looked crazy, and I was like, wow, this is so different. Obviously now. They don't look the best, but they still look very cool for, for the time and what they were. And on a 16-bit cartridge console, it's insane that they got that yeah. all that onto a cartridge. I don't think people appreciate how yeah. little information you could fit on a exactly. cartridge. Yeah. Like, oh, everything about it, you know, the backgrounds and everything, everything has that that same 3D graphic to it. It's It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I was playing it on the Switch screen, which kind of ruins it a little bit but if you can play it on an older screen it just looks it still looks great and i don't think it would be fair for me to talk about donkey kong country wow that was a word country <laughs> donkey kong country <laughs> without mentioning the soundtrack i mean it, it, it's incredible i i like you foxy i listen to the donkey kong soundtrack still all the time from the first game the second game they're just, they're such amazing tracks. And I think if you play a water level uh, piece of music, everyone will recognize it, whether they played the games or not. So I'll just be like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's that. Me Peachy knows it. She's never played these games, but I've, I've played that bit of music. And she's been like, oh, I know. Why do I know this? And I'm like, because it's the Donkey Kong swim stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I've never played those games. Why do I know that? <laughs> it's like, because it's a great piece of music. And personally, I think it's called Jib Jib or Jib Jig Jig. I can't remember. It's like the second level in Donkey Kong Country 2. 
and that bit of music i just oh ah, i love it it's it's like there you go but much better than me doing it um i think it's jib jib i can't remember but it's really good and yeah a, a little orange just i love this game it was so much fun i never played the third one i clearly got my mm. fill of donkey kong country by the end of the second one i i want to say we finished the second one but i don't think we did in my house mm. so it's still something i need to finish both of those two games but oh they were so great. Uh, they're, they're probably the only games that I had on the Super Nintendo that were not Mario games or not movie tie-in games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> somehow Donkey Kong got through. I don't know how. Uh, I want to say maybe it's because of the connection to Mario. Could maybe be. a cousin. I know my cousin had a SNES. So there is a mm-hmm. chance that they had it and we borrowed it and really loved it. So my parents went out and bought it. I'm not sure. But however it came to be in my house, thank you, (laughs) however it came to be in my house, because I loved it. And yeah, I need to go back and finish them at some point, but some some stunning, stunning games there. They are on the Switch Online, so if you've never played them and you love platforming, especially platforming with a steep difficulty ramp, (laughs) go for it. They are fantastic games. And I'm not going to reboot them because they already have been and the reboots are really good. So go and play those too because they are fantastic. Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Returns Tropical Freeze. Whew, big name. <laughs> Which you can get on Switch. There's the second episode in a row where you've discussed a platform that's already been rebooted. No, no, just because I'm doing it on purpose. You're removing, <laughs> removing the guesswork, at least. That's good. I <laughs> know. Oh, <laughs> I'm making it easier for myself to choose which one I want to do. I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. Really good ideas in that to pick, pick one. <laughs> She's smart. <laughs> well, Andy, are you going to bring down our happy platforming mood <laughs> with apparently a nightmare, perhaps? Yeah, I'm. I'm here to fart in the punch bowl or whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> my, my second choice because it's a mega cd theme for me is yet again another fmv driven game and it is night trap <laughs> Ooh, i like the name don't get too excited it is generally considered one of the worst games ever made <laughs> i know this game i'm really looking forward to you talking about it <laughs> so yeah it was it was released in america in 1992 and in pal regions in 1993 because again, the 90s were an absolute nightmare for releases. <laughs> Anyone that's heard of a Mega CD, there's a very high chance that they've heard the name Night Trap, or possibly you've trained your brain enough to veer away from thinking about Night Trap as some sort of survival <laughs> technique. It's just, it was a game so like bafflingly controversial that it was named in congressional hearings in America as <clears> an <throat> example of the existential threat violent video games posed against kids in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird time. Like, <laughs> see, see some pixelated blood in Mortal Kombat and lots of, all these old Republicans started freaking out. It was all bollocks. There's like there's more violent games of Monopoly than Night Trap. So <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, the most shocking thing about Night Trap is that anyone took it that seriously in the first place. <laughs> Even as a kid, I was like, is this what they've been freaking out about? Okay, I guess. I mean, I, I, I had seen Robocop at the age of, like, seven or something, so I wasn't fucking... I was pretty hardened by that, but it was still... Like, I was like, I was expecting more. 
So, for those that don't know or remember, Night Trap is an FMV game that sees you controlling a surveillance unit observing a pretty sizable but conveniently remote house. And there's a party full of teenagers like going on in the house. And there also happen to be these vampires roaming around outside and through the <laughs> corridors of the house. But they're, they're not really vampires. They're called augurs or something like that. And they, wear, they have like fishnets over their face and like these uh, fucking flak jacket kind of SWAT team kind of outfits. And they waddle around the corridors. Just really stupid looking. And they uh, use, as again, not being proper vampires, they don't bite anybody to extract their blood. They use these things that look like like modified restraining poles that like animal control would use for a dog that was too aggressive to pick up. They'd wrap around their neck and then there'd be this weird drilling sound and then you'd see kind of a bit of blood coming out of a tube into a like a bag or something. I don't know. I'm so it's, confused right now. It's very strange. And what you do as a controller, you have to like observe, keep an eye on these teenagers, protect them from these creatures through these strange traps that you have control of all around the house. They're usually like holes in the ground or in one corridor, these plastic screens come up and trap them and it creates this like microwave effect that it goes, it's basically just a light turning on and off, like flashing, and then a hole in the ground opens up and they fall in it. It's, <laughs> so, so all of this stuff is because Hasbro, who were footing the bill for the production, because this was a pretty expensive prospect, because it was like, they had to make an entire movie basically, but they insisted they wouldn't finance this game unless all of the violence was non-reproducible, as they put it. They didn't want something. They didn't want it to be something a kid could replicate. Mm. So there's no biting, there's no stabbing, <laughs> no shooting. Because kids can't build like blood draining backpacks or create death traps in their house. <laughs> Normally, anyway, unless you're like Ke Kevin McAllister. I was gonna say that Home Alone <laughs> happened, and no. Oh. Yeah, so he's the exception. They weren't anticipating a Kevin McAllister situation, but everything else, it's stuff that couldn't be done by a kid who played it and was too easily influenced by the violence that they're seeing so yeah none of, so it's got absolutely no teeth to it almost literally <laughs> and the tech to develop the game it was being fine-tuned while the movie was being shot so like the, the developers and the movie production entirely separate entities they weren't working together at all the developers were working out how to make this work as a video game and the movie production was shooting all this footage and then sending it over. There was no communication about like making sure the footage worked for a video game, making sure that there was enough space, there was enough timing, that the frame was right, all these other things that would go into come into account in a modern video game where the director is the person in charge of everything, including the cinematic footage. So you every single artistic choice would be accounted for. In this case, they got the footage, and then the developers just had to make it work. And most of the time... <laughs> They couldn't make it work. <laughs> so, like, the timings for everything was, were a fucking nightmare. You could see that there was a vision there, the, the person that came up with the idea. There was something to it. There was an ambition behind it, but every single circumstance surrounding it screwed them out of ever fulfilling that vision. It is objectively terrible. The production values <laughs> are dreadful. The acting is atrocious. <laughs> and the mechanics are frustratingly obtuse. You couldn't activate a trap unless you had the right... There was colour-coded like, access keys that you had mm. to set every time you went into a new screen. You had to get that code right. There was a bar, an alert bar, and it, when it went into the red, I think it's when you went into the red you could activate the trap. The timing for that was, was razor thin, and that's just to take into account that you might have had the right 
passcode. You probably didn't because the only way <laughs> to know the passcode is to catch the right scene at the right time where someone explained what the passcode was. Oh, God. It was all... <laughs> It's all about you had to you, you'd need the walkthrough in front of you to hit every <laughs> cue on note mm. so you'd know what to do next. There was a slight forgiveness of how many characters could die. You didn't get game over as soon as a character died, but even then it wasn't particularly forgiving. Like a couple of characters died game over. You needed to be in the right place at the right time at all times. And that was mm. basically impossible without the internet to refer to. So <laughs> I saw this dude in a jerry curl saying breaking contact an awful lot when I was a kid. <laughs> that, that was the game. He'd be unplugging like a Mega Drive controller. He said, breaking contacts. And he'd pull a wire out of the Mega Drive controller. And then it'd cut to, cut to black. It was a very strange and frustrating thing to see. But despite it being an absolute nightmare to play, and I don't think I ever actually completed it, I got close, but then fucked up at the last thing. And I was like, you know what? No. Life's too short. <laughs> I, was, I was like 11 years old at this point, and I still felt life's too short. So. <laughs> I do still take away some positives from it because I, I do think this game, this game in particular, but also many, many Mega CD games, it contributed to planting a seed in my head where I could find some pleasure in a shitty game. Mm. Like I could find something to laugh about. It's not always easy with a shitty game because there is a lot more money involved in playing a shitty game than there is mm. watching a shitty movie. Like if you see a shitty movie, you can, you know, you, you might be down like 10 quid or something. You can laugh it off. Not so easy with a video game, but mm. I still feel like I can do it. It was a lot easier back then because you could just trade that game in or sell it to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, <it's tricked laughs> them into buying. I, I tricked so many people into buying bad games off me. And then I could buy a nice a game that I liked. Oh my God. And you accrued enemies. <laughs> yeah, you fucking sold me Rise of the Robots, you fucker. I said, oh no, it's not my fault. Why didn't you read any reviews? But never mind. <laughs> so it's a lot harder to do that now because digital gaming is a much bigger thing and refunds are a lot harder to get. So, mm. But at the t- for, a, for a good long time, it helps shape my philosophy on bad games. Enjoy what you can while you can and then move on. And mm. yeah, so it's, it's dreadful. It's genuinely... <laughs> One of the top five most incompetent games I've ever played. <laughs> uh, it drove me insane every time I played it. I would always at some point loop back around like the frustration back into laughing at some stupid shit that happened. So <laughs> I do have a lot of fondness for it, but I would never recommend it to anyone ever. <laughs> oh no, not one of these again. <laughs> so, yeah. Then we all go away again. Oh, that can't be that bad. <laughs> I'm tempting. I'm tempting. No, just seriously, just don't even know. <laughs> That's all right. I went with this one. I know. Yeah. I knew about Night Trap when I saw that you were going to talk about it today. I was just like, "Oh yes, nice," because it's notorious for the reasons that you said. So that's how it came across my radar because I heard about it in some sort of gaming news thing. That yeah. They were talking about it because of its notoriety. So <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. I already have seen enough. <laughs> I'll watch a YouTube video. That's, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Just enjoy the shitty acting without having the frustration of trying to play the goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, Foxy. What is your second pick? Oh. Oh. Yeah. So, Becky, you like this. <laughs> uh, my, my second pick is Black and White, which came out Ooh. in the early 2000s from Lionhead Studios, which was a spin-out from one of my favorite developers, which is uh, Bullfrog Software. Nice. Headed up by... 
visionary, dream weaver, titan of industry, and all-around <laughs> ludicrous optimist, Peter Molyneux. And he's a big fan. I, I was <laughs> a big fan up to a point. <laughs> I'll say that. So, uh, for, for those of you who are, who are not in the know, Molyneux is kind of like if Steve Jobs was one of those overly enthusiastic inventors who goes on Dragon's Den. <laughs> He's like perfect. Yeah, it's <laughs> very good. You know, people who show up with like you know some kind of new fancy screwdriver, and when the pitch isn't going very well, they're like, "Oh yeah, but it'll it'll also make waffles." Yeah. <laughs> just you stick him in front of an interviewer, and he's just like, "Oh yeah," and the game will do this, and he has no fucking idea if the game will do that, but but he believes. What a guy! But uh, I was really really excited about it because it was a lot of ex-bullfrog folk the kings of god games yeah having having released like the populous series theme park theme hospital dungeon keeper mm. so yeah i was excited and to be fair to peter he promised <laughs> something that we hadn't seen before and that's exactly what we got in fact i don't think there's been another game like black and white since and i'm kind of including black and white too in that so the game itself you're you're a god kind of dropped onto this island you're kind of you're you're born out of basically some people start praying for help and that act spawns you as a god and Mm -hmm. there's a few of them in a village and they kind of construct a temple for you and you interact with the world via your your big floating hand and they wanted to make this as seamless and immersive as possible so there's no heads up display in the game there's no menu there's no map screen there's no help button like it's just you and and the world and while they, they don't commit to that design decision 100%, um, <laughs> for the most part, it works it works amazingly well. Like, no other game, I think, before or since, makes you actually feel like you're, you're operating as a god. Like, gods don't tap options on a sidebar in a game. <laughs> they don't press buttons. If you wanted to cast miracles in the game, you had to physically move your hand in a specific gesture to cast it like you're a wizard so how much belief your worshippers have in you determines how far your your sphere of influence spreads and that's kind of represented by a glowing line that kind of maps out how far from your temple your hand can interact with the world it's got this actually it's got this really really neat effect where right at the edge of your influence if your hand kind of goes outside of it there's not just a a sharp kind of nope you can't go any further you can see the power kind of draining out of your hand. Mm. And it kind of, if you're just a tiny bit outside the sphere of influence, you can sort of grab stuff maybe for kind of 10 or 20 seconds. But the further you move the hand out, the faster it saps the energy out of your hand. Mm. It's, a, it's a neat little effect, actually. You can like zoom in and out as the god. And like, I mean, you can go up to like, you know, 20,000 feet, see the entire island or zoom right down and be able to see individual villagers' shoes. <laughs> it was so impressive at the time. I think I think when Molyneux was selling it, it was like you can zoom all the way in and see individual blades of grass, and no, you can't. <laughs> but it's it's near enough. So your your influence grows by like inspiring people, whether that's like answering calls for more food or performing miracles, like healing the sick or watering mm. their fields or maybe throwing one of the villagers 150 feet over the town center <laughs> you know you could you could just you can just pick up anything in the in the in the world and just lob it <laughs> certain things they'll get tired of like if you just repeatedly do them 
because they're like, yeah, I've seen that miracle before. There's a quite a satisfying kind of weight to stuff that you pick up. And a lot of the time the game just feels like a, a wonderful kind of physics puzzler, just winding mm. up, winding up just enough zip on your throat to get that boulder to smash apart somebody's house that's half a mile away. <laughs> you know, just because you don't just click to throw. It was like move your mouse get an, and get a certain amount of speed on your hand before releasing. So it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the world had real weight to it. Now, one of the big draws for the game was that you had a creature and you selected it at the start and it was either a kind of chimp, a cow or a tiger. And it's supposed to be your kind of physical manifestation of you on Earth. And as it goes about its business, you can like kind of stroke it to reward it or you can slap it to discourage it. <laughs> um, or I guess you could just do that if you're just some kind of asshole, I guess. Like, <laughs> Um, but it was it was bigged up as this like AI thing, and, it, and in fairness, they they did deliver on it. If you're dedicated enough, you can teach it not just how to perform miracles or anything, but specific behaviors in the game. So like if you're a good god, you could teach it that taking a, a seventy kilogram shit in the middle of town is not the way, um, <laughs> and that you know when it needs to poo, it should do it directly on like a food crop field to fertilize it. <laughs> And then maybe like cast a rain cloud miracle over the, the field afterwards. If you're an evil god, you can teach that same creature to set its shit on fire and then fling it at a rival village <laughs> grain store. Like, it's astounding. But I think the, the reason the system was so great is because, and I think it's still the only mainstream released game to have attempted this. They used an, an honest-to-god machine learning algorithm for the creature AI. Now, like... AI in games has been has been good for ages. Like, you know, Half-Life had great AI. Unreal Tournament mm. had, had great bots and things. But most games need to test for how these things all interact. So mm. there's no there's no like learning in the AI. It gets input and it triggers a set of responses and yada yada yada. But this system, decisions that the creature makes and the lessons that it learns all feed into like a system that gives it certain expectations within the game world. And those expectations mm. can get reinforced or they can be challenged and changed. And it's not just from you. Like the creature observes other creatures and it responds to the villagers it sees whether you're there or not. It's crazy stuff. There's still nothing really like it. Okay, ne the next bit you'll, you'll like, Andy. <laughs> it has the best like sound design decision I've ever seen. Um, and it reminds me of something that Andy mentioned about uh, one of the Metal Gear games a while back. So back in the early 2000s, you didn't immediately have like unique game features shouted from the rooftop of like social media. So some people thought they were losing their goddamn minds when they played this. So, <laughs> so throughout the game, occasionally pe people went online onto forums and said, have any of you guys noticed that there's like a kind of whispering? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like throughout the game, occasionally you'll hear death, like, like, a, like a really like kind of drawn out death just like whispered on the wind and it, it basically signifies that that some of your villagers are, are dying it happens every time one of them dies because there's no heads up display it's it's actually a neat little way of of like informing you of stuff and people were like no that's that's not the thing i i'm talking about has it been whispering your name <laughs> and that's <laughs> And they were like, oh. And then other people were like, yeah, I, you know what? I think I've heard that too. And they were like, oh, that's cool. Maybe, it, you know, maybe it takes your name. And then that's like a little cool thing in the game. And they're like, yeah, but the thing is, I never gave the game my name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, jeez. 
Now, oh, I, kid, no. I kid you not, this game was designed to look at your PC's system files <sighs> and to see what name you registered during your installation of Windows. <laughs> and if you were playing the game after about 10 p.m. at night, it would fucking whisper your name to you on the wind. <laughs> what kind of unhinged maniac <laughs> thought of this? I'm... I'm asking that like I don't have a very good idea of what kind of <laughs> yes what he thought of this. Um, I don't know if it was him specifically. Probably. But yeah, it, it literally looked at what name was registered to your Windows account. Apparently, it could also look at your email if, if permissions were were switched on, and like villagers oh in, in your in your towns would end up with like the names of people in your contact list in your emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyways. All these like little details and, and touches of humor, like uh, there's like a little a little villager guy on the on like the third island of the game who just is sat by a campfire and he just mocks the shit out of you and like dares you <laughs> to sm- to smite him. <laughs> so you start like tossing him around and he's invincible. <laughs> like, oh, you can literally throw him like a mile across the level, and he'll just be like ah me arm, and then he'll. <laughs> And then he'll just keep running back again. Like, he never drowns. Fire can't kill him. He's just a little, like, annoying <laughs> dude who's there. Oh, my God. He's just um, like, smite me. And you're like, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It's giving me, like, Call of the Lamb vibes. Just in, like, the looking after your people thing. Because I've been playing that game a bit. And it's, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could fling people. That would be funny. Um, <laughs> that sounds yeah, I mean, crazy. Can you still get it? Like, is it on Steam? No, it's you can get no. it on abandonware.com. Myabandonware.com has it. Oh, okay. I think that's where a friend of mine got Sitting Ducks, actually. So Yeah, cool. it requires, like, patching and stuff, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's not it's not available anywhere officially, I don't think. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I know what Foxy's going to talk about next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But before we get to that, my second game, which will be what I talk about next as well. Um, <laughs> I'm bringing to the table Kingsley's Adventure. So I've talked about this game before on a couple of different episodes of the podcast, I think. It's a game on the PS1 that is an action, sort of action adventure, little bit of platforming, I guess. That kind of 3D adventure type games, you know, like your Banjo-Kazooie and Spyro type vibe. I rented it for several weeks from Blockbuster when I was a child and I never finished it. I kept re-renting it uh, so I would have it for a week, not finish it rent it for another week and I think I used to get away with that for a couple of weeks before my dad would be like can you pick something else <laughs> and I'd be like okay because I didn't I never beat it and then I had the privilege of buying it many years later for about 20 quid from uh, replay which was a retro game store in Brighton that sadly no longer exists so now CEX go unchallenged but anyway I got it from replay and if you Google the game now, it it it's oh, I don't know. It's usually about one hundred and fifty quid on eBay because <laughs> it's one of those games that was there weren't many produced and people like it, so they won't sell it. So yeah, I was dead lucky to get it for as cheap as I did because clearly in the years since I did get it, it's gotten a lot more expensive. But I'm glad I did because I finally finished it. I played it earlier this year on stream and I beat the game, and it's 
freaking amazing. It's exactly how I remembered it. It's as good as I remembered it. And I had a blast. But I finally understood why I didn't finish it when I was a child. And that is because the last level of the game is fucking horrible. Basically, everything you've learned throughout the game, all the skills and abilities that you accrue, you need them all for the final level. And it is long and it is torturous. And if you mess it up and run out of lives, you go back to the start of it. (laughs) It is cruel. And that, my friends, is why I did not finish it as a child. But I have beaten it now. So Kingsley's Adventure is about a little fox. He's an orphan who grew up in the Fruit Kingdom in the King and Queen's castle. And he would like to be a true knight. That is his desire. He wants to be a true knight, just like his dad. But he's... You know, he's just a wee little fox in training. Until some big evil chef bastard comes along called Bad Custard. That's his name. Bad Custard. It It sounds like somebody from Parappa the Rapper. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So Bad Custard uh, is making... He's a chef. And of course, he's making an evil potion to just, you know, the usual. He wants to rule all, take over, yada yada. But in doing so, Bad Custard has turned all of the other true knights of the kingdom into evil monsters, twisted versions of themselves. So Kingsley is the only one left, obviously, because he's not a true knight, because he's a tiny fox. But he takes up the quest, the mantle, to go and rescue all of the other knights of the kingdom and to take on Bad Custard. (laughs) Bad Custard. I choked on myself. So yeah, it's a 3D sort of action game. It's got a main hub, which is the castle, and then you open each of the different areas, which there'll be slightly different areas, like a seaside town, a more mountain town, different little regions of the country, and you go to each one in turn. The game dictates which one you go to, so when you beat one, you'll unlock another one, and such and such. You get different abilities and weapons in each area. So once you beat the area and you beat the um, the knight and return them to their original form, they will give you one of their uh, pieces of armor or weaponry, which will help you become a true knight. So you'll get things like a sword, a shield, a chest plate, a crossbow, a hammer. And each of these things give you different abilities that you can then use in other areas of the game. So you'll need to learn like different spells and things so that you can progress and unlock a few secrets and things like that. The, one of the things I loved about it was, one, it's got a medieval setting and I love medieval. I know I love pirates, but I also love medieval. <laughs> medieval settings I think are really fun. So I love that whole theme of it. But I like the fact that it's one of those games where each area is different and each area encourages you to use different abilities, learn different things. There's always something new being given to Kingsley. It's not just like, here's all your tricks, now go and have fun. You're always learning, which is in keeping with the fact that he's this little fox who's in training to become a true knight. So he's he's training, he's, he's getting better as he progresses. Until, like I said, we get to the final episode and it's... Yeah, the final episode? The final level. We go to the final <laughs> level and it's just everything thrown at you. So if if there was anything you didn't like in the game or any of the skills or abilities you weren't very good at, tough, because you're going to have to use them all in this last bit. And it's going to give you timed things. It's going to give you tight platforming. It's going to throw the entire kitchen sink at you. <laughs> so best of luck. This is what you've been training for. This is your final trial. <laughs> that sounds, <laughs> Which that sounds, sounds tough. <laughs> it is tough 
but I got through it and I was like, whew, crazy. But it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really like it. I think it is one of those kind of platforming, those that 3D mascot style um, hidden gems. I think it's, yeah, it's a really, really fun little game. It's not very long. Well, <laughs> depending on how long the last level takes you. Yeah. But it's, it's not particularly terrifying in length. I, I really enjoyed it. And I know I enjoyed it a lot as a child. But now that I'm older and a better gamer, I managed to beat it for Young Orange. That one was for the little me. But I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it immensely. I, I think I quite like foxes as well, because I know I love Tunic. So Yeah, I was going to um, say, it sounded a lot like, like a precursor sort of thing yes. when, I, when I looked at it. Um, I don't know how I came across it. I feel like I just saw a cute little fox in armor on the cover of a box when i went to blockbuster and i feel like that just sold it to me and because you know when you're a child i mean i still do it now to be fair you do judge things by their cover the cover art can often make you go "Ooh, what's that and then you pick it up and have a look but i don't even think i picked it up and had a look i think i just picked it up and went this one (laughs) to my dad she's like that looks cute i did things like that with like croc and gex and that's how I came across a lot of the platformers that I played on the PS1. Um, but this one stuck. I really liked this one and I was always gutted that I never owned it. So when I was able to get hold of it, I was really excited. Especially now that I've seen how crazy the price is now. My God. I'm not selling that one. That one's staying with me. Yeah, unless you've got like a, a new a roof to replace or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> it's desperate as expense, that shit. <laughs> Yes, Got this one is being pocket. left. This one is being left in my will because <laughs> rainy, rainy day game. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, one of those. Well, now we'll move on to the second part, the exciting part, where we're going to talk about one of the two games that we have each picked to reboot and bring to the modern era, and how we envision that working. So, Andy, which game are you choosing to reboot and throw that pitch? So, I did give this a lot of thought, and I put a lot of thought into both games. Let's see which one would make the most sense for me. I do mm-hmm. feel like turning Road Avenger into mm. like a real-time action spectacle would be a really easy sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be a game that I'd love to play, but it's, it's a very safe way of doing things, because next to no one remembers that game, so rebooting it into an action racer and releasing it to a receptive audience, that feels like a no-brainer. Mm. And I, I played it really safe last time with the Snatcher thing. <laughs> I, I mostly just used that the section last time as an excuse to grind my axe against Konami. <laughs> so I feel like I wanted a challenge this time. So I'm going okay. to be rebooting Night Trap. Ooh, I was hoping you'd pick that it's one. Like one of the worst games of all time. So let's see how <laughs> I get on. <laughs> the floor is yours. So my thinking is... Night Trap's reputation is lower than dirt. Like, no <laughs> one wants another one of these games. Mm-hmm. But that also means there's zero attachment for people. There's zero expectation. You mm. can do what you like to this game, and mm-hmm. there's not a fan base out there that's going to get mad at you. Yeah, It's, it's perfect for a reboot, really. <laughs> so this is how I would reboot Night Trap. You could try and do it as a straight-faced, grueling horror game, kind of like what the creator originally envisioned for it. Like trying mm. to fulfill his his dream of what Night Trap could be. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that would work because it's Night Trap. The people that know <laughs> this game won't take that seriously. The horse is bolted. You're never going to get a game called Night Trap that people take seriously. 
So you're mm-hmm. immediately on the back foot. So what I think you need to do is embrace the reputation. The tone needs to be more humorous. The writing needs to be more self-aware. It should be acknowledging gaming horror tropes because yeah. a lot has happened within the genre since Night Trap. Like it's, it's become a massive force in gaming. At mm. the time, it was like a shot in the dark doing a horror game, attempting a real proper horror game. They didn't mm. do a very good job of it, but they were attempting to make a horror game that would scare mm. people. So the genre has blossomed since Night Trap came out. So there's a lot of stuff they could take and ideas they could source and a lot of fun they could have at its expense. Mm. But it does still need to maintain a level of danger. So you are invested into these characters and saving them because that's the entire point of Night Trap. You need to save these kids from being murdered. Yep. So you need to make sure there are still stakes. How I'd think about how it is, it needs to be basically the scream of video game horror games. <laughs> yeah. it, needs to, it needs to be funny and self-aware, but you need to feel for these characters and you don't want to see them get hurt. Yeah. So the, the core mechanics would stay the same. You're switching rooms, activating traps. It wouldn't be as needlessly complicated. You wouldn't need like a special passcode to access these traps. The traps mm-hmm. are there. You just need to make sure you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And it'd be far easier to like maneuver this this game because people playing on pc could use their mouse mm. modern console controllers are far more versatile and there's been decades of trial and error in developers and so they understand how to calibrate controller games to play more complicated pc style games basically on a console mm. they're they're basically learning from all the mistakes the original night trap made on how to make a night trap game play it also needs to be a lot more forgiving. There needs to be branching narratives. It can't yes. just be one rigid path that yes. if you fail, if you falter at all, you're fucked. The game's over. Mm. It needs if you lose a character, that shouldn't be one step towards failing. That should be branching, opening a new opportunity for a different story to be told. Yep. It needs to be a lot more forgiving. There could still be fail conditions in place, so if you lose a certain character or lose a certain amount of characters, game over. But it needs to be more forgiving. It needs yeah. to let you feel like you're not missing out on a game you're just creating a new game if you make yep. a mistake it needs to be yep. that kind of thing because the core concept of night trap has the potential to be a lot of fun yeah it needs to be fun to play so it needs to be more flexible to play as well so that's mm. the main thing all that stuff is just tweaks on things that already existed in night trap the, the big change that i would want to make mm-hmm. the one thing that i would absolutely need to change is get rid of the fmv like, get rid of the actors <laughs> Like, yes. It seems controversial when I thought of it because the one solitary thing other than its objective terribleness that people remember about Night Trap is the fact it's an FMV <laughs> game. But I think, no, you need to throw all that out. Yeah. For one, no actor worth a damn is going to risk their reputation on a Night Trap <laughs> reboot. So why would you bother? But even if you could get like the entire cast of Succession on board, I'd still scrap it because I don't think it works. I think it gets in the way of the gameplay, mm. having this FMV. Even even now where FMV games are very well calibrated, they're made by the people actually developing the game, so the footage works for the game. Yeah. Even with that in mind, no, scrap it. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so what I would be doing is I'd replace the FMV footage with 16-bit sprites. So they'd be just detailed enough to be able to convey character through their designs and animations, but Mm -hmm. not detailed enough to make you feel uncomfortable, like if slash when they die. Mm. And you could could keep the goofy vampire designs 
and they'd probably work <laughs> a lot better in sprite form with the like yes. looping animations and stuff like that. They might look cooler because it wouldn't it wouldn't look like they're wearing fishnets on their head. It just <laughs> look like they're wearing weird hoods and be creepy moving around and stuff. I think it I think it'd benefit all the the bad visual design choices that were in the original game. Mm-hmm. And but the, my main thinking is that I think FMV footage creates a certain mentality in a gamer. It makes mm. them switch tracks from thinking like they're playing a video game to thinking like they're watching a movie yeah and the one thing that everyone thinks at one point or another when they're watching a horror film especially a bad horror film is i can't wait to watch these kids get killed (laughs) yeah yeah and that's that's a problem for games because the main thing a gamer needs to do is win and you can't be feeling ambivalent about the survival of the characters you're supposed to protect yeah but when you see a sprite or a CG render of a character, a gamer recognises that as a video game character. And the mm. one thing a gamer never wants to do with a video game character is let them die. It's yeah. just it's hardwired into how you relate to these characters. So yeah. I feel like it's a nice little bit of... It's going to be aesthetically more pleasing, but it's also going to psychologically manipulate the player into actually giving a shit about characters in a Night Trap game <laughs> rather <laughs> than just give up on it at the first hurdle like I did with the original Night Trap. <laughs> So that that is how I would reboot Night Trap. I would play that. That sounds good. I like the sprites. I think that's a really good idea. And I like the branching narrative. See, that's something games do really well now. Like I, yeah. when you were talking about it, I was thinking it reminded me of like Until Dawn. The idea mm. of like if you lose some of the characters, it affects the other characters, but you can still win. But you can even lose them all, and then you'll just get a bad ending. Yeah, you know. So I think that that in having a horror game with like a collection of of teens that you're supposed to be protecting i think that's kind of important to do because then you get to see the consequences of what you did wrong you know yeah you might even be thinking well clearly it doesn't matter i'm doing fine and then they give you the end and you're like oh oh dear i screwed up didn't i (laughs) it's like yes you did (laughs) this is the consequences of your actions and that encourages replaying because like you want to try again to try and make sure that character survives Maybe yeah, you want to see what happens. Experiment a little. Let another character die that made it mm. to the end of last time just to see things change a little bit. It, yeah. it makes you want to play the game more. Whereas yeah. when it's a very on-rails FMV narrative game like this, once you've completed it, yep. you've seen it all. There's there's no reason to go back. I like the idea of keeping the dodgy vampires as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's one thing I never wanted to change because that was... That's like your homage just, to it. It's such a it? weird choice, but it would it would work a lot better with like yeah. a different art style. Like Foxy said earlier, art style beats graphics. Art yes. style beats bad Woo. soundstage <laughs> shooting. I agree. I like that. That sounds awesome. All right, well, Foxy, over to you then. What is the game that you were picking? And throw us your pitch. Well, I'm not picking Yoshi Island because like I said, it's perfect. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, black and white and partly because i think like we said earlier like i for this episode i didn't replay this because you can't Mm. unless you have the original discs and somehow Mm -hmm. get it running on a modern pc or or like what andy was saying earlier you yeah this this is where i'll echo andy from from the uh, the other episode like piracy is a moral good in these cases yeah like it was it was one of the highest rated games of the year like it's not wow. even from it's not even from the nineties. It's, like it's a two thousand and one game. Like imagine if you if you literally couldn't go onto a digital store and buy Halo or GTA three or Max Payne. Like it's yeah, it's a travesty. It's a travesty. Crazy. 
that a game that, that carried like this much weight released this century is just like locked away in a vault at Microsoft or whoever bloody owns it at the moment. Um, I think it is Microsoft. Or possibly, Damn it, Microsoft shakes uh, fist aggressively. It's possibly EA, but I think it's Microsoft. Oh, shakes fist even I'm, more I'm aggressively if it's EA. EA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. EA are the reason that Bullfrog went under. So like, I'm... I have I have a long-standing <laughs> beef with EA, they've, so let's just say it was them. They fucked a lot of people, obviously. Yeah, yeah. we have a EA. lot. There is many beefs with EA. I think I think they're made of beef at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this game needs to come back. I feel like the the level of detail you can get these days and the scale of everything. Mm. Like I say, like the old game, you know, twenty odd years ago, you could zoom all the way down and track individual fireflies. Yeah. And underneath stuff. I'm just like, imagine what you could do on the kind of micro level these days. An atom. Um, <laughs> you could, you could genuinely do what Peter said and see the individual blades <laughs> of grass. They're doing a Peter Molyneux redemption arc. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just for you. Oh man, that, that, that should be, that should be a thing. Somebody should go back to every interview he was in. And look oh. at everything that he promised and actually make a game <laughs> that has it. Oh my god. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, one game, As... one solid game that's just called the Peter Molyneux Experience. <laughs> and it's just all the promises he ever made in one big game. Yes. The whole machine learning aspect, the AI, the creature stuff. Like, if, if that's what you could get on a PC 20 years ago with like the leaps that have been made these days, not just mm. in like machine learning algorithms, but with like the personal means with which you could run them. You know, I'm just thinking all the different inputs and features and behaviors and, and more ways to interact with the world. And, you know, there, there's no need to restrict yourself within such a broad kind of sandbox style of, of game. You can mm. just go wild with it. You don't have to like test it into oblivion and go, does this work? Yeah. You can just let it kind of run loose. I want to see your creature beginning to question the very fabric of the game itself. <laughs> I want it to be like staring down the camera being like, is this real? <laughs> and I think my main big thing for rebooting this is this game was surely made for VR. Oh. The giant disembodied hand hovering over the world. Not only do you remove the heads-up display, you remove another layer of input that's between you and the game, which is the mm. mouse. Waving your hand. So yeah, you, you go into this world, you're a god, you want to cast a miracle, then you need to swirl your hands around like you're Doctor Strange. <laughs> Bring in voice activation for things, you know? Mm. I smite, I smite the... And I think what they also need to do is just like really ramp up the number of kind of small quests within the game. Yeah. Stuff with like loads of personality because because those like little quest lines and the kind of simple act of of tending to your society mm. they're the bits in the game that were the most fun yeah like the the second game moved away from from this it's like that thing i was saying before about looking at what the public wants yeah. and trying to make that like the the second game focused more on things like actually having like little human military forces that could fight alongside your creature mm-hmm and it had like more direct control of like building what you wanted, where you wanted, rather than trying to just influence and encourage your people to do things. Yeah. Like, I don't want a real-time strategy combat <laughs> game in this game. Like, I don't want a low-rent version of Shogun Total War injected into a game that has this much scope. With the explosion of 
Minecraft a few years back, mm-hmm. people, I feel like, were, were suddenly open to something that was that was new and unusual, and were willing to accept that the game they had was just kind of open and full of choice, and that there was a million things in there that they were just going to have to discover because they weren't going to be spoon-fed all the answers in a tutorial. Mm. I think there's there's an appetite for that kind of game. They just have to make it right. I don't I don't have the answers. <laughs> I just know that we need the kind of game that you would want to buy the strategy guide for. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. YouTube videos, game facts. <laughs> <laughs> ah. No, remember, everything was better back in the day. I still use game that's facts. That's true. In this case, it's true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So I'm not surprising anyone. I'm not going to talk about Donkey Kong Country, the reboot, because <laughs> it already exists. I am going to talk about Kingsley's Adventure and why it should exist in a modern landscape. And again, it you can't get it. It's not accessible. You can only get it through emulation. Obviously, PlayStation hate all the old games and refuse to put many of them on any service. (laughs) As slowly as they are doing it, they're still doing it very slowly and it's annoying. But also, as I mentioned when I talked about uh, Kingsley's Adventure, to actually buy it, if you do have a PS1 or a PS2, it's stupid expensive. So there is no no legal way... (laughs) of playing this game so my sort of headline part of the pitch is basically i want more people to experience this game because i thought it was a lot of fun so i'd love to reboot it to bring it forward because especially now that we've got rumors of croc perhaps getting an hd remake and obviously uh klonoa has come back and um crash and spyro is still around so there is still that market for these bright colorful mascot character action games that they they can still exist. People still play them. People still want them. So there is a space for it. So give it that facelift, modernize the graphics. I'm thinking like ukulele it, you know, but I do have some changes in mind. I think it would benefit from the hub world perhaps being more open. I like games that let you go to lots of different places, but perhaps you can't access everything without an ability but you can still have a like a little look around and then you go okay maybe I can't do that bit yet but I could do that bit now and just having that more freedom since it's supposed to be like this little the fruit kingdom and it's supposed to have these little regions that you could actually potter about in each of them if you wanted to get to know the world have an explore without feeling quite so confined we're very open world nowadays so having that freedom of exploration I feel like it would benefit from that in doing so, I'd quite like it to see have an, a, an overworld map. Because in the original, the way you went from place to place is you sort of, you jumped in a little well, as it were. It was just a hole in the ground, sort of little, a well. And you just kind of popped out where you were meant to be. So it's kind of teleported you to where you were supposed to go. I quite like the idea maybe of having an isometric overworld that you could just like wander across i think that would be really cute and again would allow the world to be kind of a bit more open yes i am crossing it with tunic bear with me (laughs) 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 but you know i think they do that in nino kuni as well and like the old school zelda you know that kind of Mm. just being able to move across a smaller map maybe with a few little interacting things 
along the way but so that you can see more of how the world is connected and where everything is because otherwise it feels a bit disconnected so i think that would be really nice a really fun little addition to it and it gives us a chance for a little tiny isometric night fox to look really cute um (laughs) (laughs) one of the other things that i know the game does really well is they have some really good humor i mean if you needed to know more other than the fact that main villain is called bad custard you know there's lots of characters and they all have quite adult jokes in one area of the game the alcohol has been poisoned and everyone is really like drunk but like hung over and ill so you have to figure out who's messed with the alcohol and what's gone on it's part of your mission so there's all these really interesting characters around who are telling you little bits of their story i feel like you could do more with those characters to give you more of the lore of the world, maybe some little quests, maybe things you have to go and find. So a few little bits and pieces, because the way some of the NPCs speak to you, it does actually seem like it would be a quest. I think there was at least one or two where somebody mentioned something had gone missing and I thought, oh, do I need to go and find it? Obviously I was in future gaming mind where anyone says anything and I'm like, oh, clearly I need to do something, you know. I need to get a cat out of a tree for this person or something. But in Kingsley's Adventure on the PS1, it doesn't actually do that. They don't give you missions. They're just talking and you just happen to be like, okay, bye then. Good luck with that. Whereas I feel like you could do that. You could branch it out a bit more, have these little interactions with the NPCs. They could give you a little mission, the little quests. And it, it, it does have some good humor in this game. So you could go further into that have some challenges as well, just more things that you can do as Kingsley as you traverse. And the other thing I thought of is if I'm going to make it a little bit more open-worldy, then some landmarks or some just like cheeky bits of lore dotted around places, like finding out more about Kingsley's past. Maybe there's more about his parents, his father and things like that, or just the world in general. Maybe more about Bad Custard and why he's called Bad Custard. Yeah, I, I agree there. Yeah. <laughs> we must know. <laughs> why he's doing what he's doing. Maybe more lore around each of the knights. Maybe there's a story there as to how they became knights. And I feel like they really painted this really interesting world and story, but they didn't give us very much information. I'm like, could you build on that? But give us more information. Give us more stuff to find. And, and what happened to Good Custard? Yeah. <laughs> was he called Bad Custard at birth or was he just custard and he went bad? I don't know. <laughs> you know? You'd, you'd, th- you'd think if there was only one of him, he'd just be called Custard. Maybe. But Maybe yeah, there's, there's a good a, there's Custard a... and a bad Custard. Or maybe there's yeah. like a mediocre custard. Yeah. <laughs> there's neutral custard. <laughs> Skin on custard. <laughs> Cold custard. Um, <laughs> the whole custard family. You know, screw it. Throw the pitch out the window. We just want a game about bad custard. <laughs> and yeah, I'd love to see my little medieval fox boy come back. Come on. <laughs> Bring back Kingsley. I'm going to get a t-shirt printed. So that about does it for this episode of Retro Reboot. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. Let us know which of the games you would play, you know, which of these reboots captured your fancy. Or let us know any retro games that you love and even those that you'd like to see reboot. Maybe we've never heard of your favourite retro games and we might actually check them out, even if they're terrible. So please (laughs) do share. 
I have been Orange. You can find me on Orange and Peachy on Twitch. All my other social medias are there because I'm lazy and I don't remember them all. I'm also on Blue Sky now. Yay. Yay. I don't remember what my Blue Sky is. <laughs> I think it's Orange Lightning. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. Just a punt on it. <laughs> one of those i have like seven followers so you'll never find me anyway andy where can they find you i am on twitter i'm still calling it twitter uh, <laughs> truly underscore defective i'm on blue sky i think that's just truly defective one word i don't think oh, i have a freds but i never use that so i never use blue sky but i'm never using freds anyway because i hate freds i don't know why i brought freds up it's very warm. It's, it, we didn't bring, bring, haven't brought this up before. No, we so. didn't. I didn't ask you guys how you were. I feel awful we're, now. We're recording this on like one of the hottest days of the, the year, possibly. So it's it's been a challenge. I'm melting. I am too. I'm really sweaty. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely like recording this, like lying down on a on a cool floor in my front room. <laughs> oh. I don't blame you. Mm. Yeah, that's where I am. I'm good. <laughs> And hot. <laughs> Foxy, where can everyone find you? Uh, I am also on the artist formerly known as Twitter uh, as <laughs> Digital Sneeze. And I am on Blue Sky under, I think, the same thing. And yeah. I, and uh, like, like Andy, I don't use threads. <laughs> but I'm on there as uh, under Sneezing Fox. Um, oh, the name has changed. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and and just in case you were you were interested, Orange, you are under Orange Lightning. Uh, Yay! Under on, on Blue Sky. <laughs> Thank you for checking for me. <laughs> Beautiful. Don't you worry. I will tell you what your social medias are. <laughs> Yay! Foxy, would you like to be my new PA? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peachy does that, and she hates it. Anyway. <laughs> You can find One Up Pod. Uh, we are on social media and things. I believe we are on Twitter uh, under One U P P Odd with one D. <laughs> Please tweet us. We love to hear from you. My brain melted. It's too hot. <laughs> oh please do follow and comment and subscribe and whatever you do on each of your social media platforms that you choose to listen to us on it really does help us out a lot and that's it i'm gonna go and die from heat exhaustion now but thank you guys again for listening and don't forget to get a life and play retro video games